Ooh, boo. All right. That's it for this show, folks. We are done. Time for the next segment. Paul has talked way too much about that crap show. I'm not giving him another second of air time. Nope. Nope. Don't say anything else. Nope. Paul, you're done. You're done. So good. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I am Paul, leaning into the microphone. And we are getting right down to it. No no lengthy intros, maybe. I don't know. We'll see what Editor Jake thinks. This is, <laughs> this is recording, Jake. Editor Jake is way more ruthless. As Editor Jake has to be. All editors need to be more ruthless than recording slash writing slash doing stuff. Jake. That's right. Yeah, if, if if only my all my friends knew how well they were protected by editor Jake, they, uh, <laughs> they wouldn't like recording Jake as much, <laughs> which explains Paul and I's relationship. It really does. It Paul, really does. Paul says to his wife at the end of every recording, you wouldn't believe what this guy said. Paul's wife listens to the published episode and thinks, I don't know what Paul's complaining about. <laughs> what is going on? And why did you sound so terrible, Paul? That is also editing. And there in my own way is how I gaslight Paul. Yeah. I am much more brilliant when we actually do these things, you know, live. And then all of a sudden I become a non-coherent mess. Yeah, that's right. I chop it up. I add lengthy pauses. I rearrange <laughs> some of the words. It's uh, it's really good for business. Really good for business. Great. Great for business. Speaking of which, if you are listening to this podcast on a platform that lets you review this podcast, would you drop us a review, whether it's on iTunes or I don't think I've seen the ability to add reviews on Spotify yet, but if you're listening on a platform where you can leave us a review, that would be awesome because then we can have all sorts of other friends to hang out with and nerd out with and to make fun of Paul with. <laughs> so would you leave us a review? That'd be great. Five stars. You know what? You could even give us a four star if you're so inclined. And Just I won't... be nice. Just be nice. Yeah. The world needs more nice reviewers. If you were looking, actually, if you were looking for your nice thing to do this week, this is your nice thing to do. Give Paul and I a thumbs up on the old podcast charts. So there you go. But we're not here to just wax eloquent about ourselves and how much we need your attention and your affirmation. <laughs> we will say that, you know, there could be more swag in it for you guys. If we get more famous and can get sponsorships and we can get some merch that we can give away on this bad boy. Oh, we'd be doing giveaways all the time. They would be great giveaways too. Yeah, stuff would be flowing out the door. It, it's sort of appropriate that we're just coming out of a political season because this feels like a bunch of political promises, actually. Yeah. If, if you vote for us, if you give us a thumbs up, we will, we will save slash wreck your healthcare system. Right. Simultaneously. We're, we're kind of warlocks like that. <laughs> Speaking of warlocks, no, there's no segue there. There's no segue. Did you did you figure out a way to watch a horrific film with your daughter and grandchild 
No, no, my da- my daughter is still grandchildless at this moment. I still don't have a grandchild, and she was she's she's overdue now. She had oh, she's late. overdue bun bun in the oven. She was supposed to deliver um, actually la- late last week, and so she's actually getting induced in two hours. Two what hours, Jake? Paul, you're gonna you're gonna be a grandfather this evening. Well, we shall see. Or tomorrow morning, very early. Yeah, it depends. But but she's been going through the whole pregnancy process, so she has not been quite in the mood to watch horror movies, I think would be fair to say. so. But I did force, I did force my lovely wife. Um, we watched Dracula on Halloween night. Ah, which, uh, which year? Oh, 1931. It's the okay. only Dracula. It's, it's not the only Dracula. I finished my haunted dollhouse. It oh, you did? super cool. Yes. Oh, you yeah. finally finished your grandchild's birth <laughs> present. <laughs> yeah. That nightmare fuel that is a haunted dollhouse. It's super cool. I even found a, a coffin online that I bought. And oh. so I have the miniature co- coffin stuffed with a miniature skeleton and oh. there's a miniature raven perched outside. It's it is super great. I'm not I'm not a very handy individual, but I would have thought that a coffin would be pretty easy to build in miniature size. I don't have time. I have to do these podcasts, Jake. I can't build coffins while we're talking. Podcasts to do, grandbabies to welcome into the world. Yeah. Hey, everybody, could you hop on Twitter at AC Paul? Give, give the new grandpa some love. Oh, man. It's been a Paul, long time. going to be the first person you text with a picture of that grandbaby. You holding the grandbaby. We'll think about it. We'll think top, about it, Jake. Top three? Top three? Top 20 for sure. Okay. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Guys, this is a big moment for me. Just think about it. 10 years ago, I was just, Paul didn't know who I was from Adam. And now I'm in his top 20 people that he's going to text with a picture of his grandbaby. <laughs> Shows that with enough grit and determination, you can accomplish anything in life. <laughs> You've reached the pinnacle. Yes. Now I'm just stalling because I want the moment. I want, I want to have like on the air, the moment where Paul's phone starts buzzing and he's got to shut me down and say, we've gone too far, too far. My grandbaby <laughs> is here. I'm leaving right now. You're going to have to talk about the Mandalorian on your own, buddy. There you go. It wasn't an elegant segue, but we got there. <laughs> Someone had to get there. That's right. The Mandalorian season two is out. Well, only one episode. The premiere, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe there's two episodes out by the time you're listening to this. You know what, future listener, maybe the entire season is out and you've binged it and you're here because we're also going to be talking about the best sci-fi TV shows ever because we're ranking them after we talk about the season two premiere of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Mandalorian, though, I, that's a really great name, don't you think? It is a good name. I don't, you know, I don't know which was it Lucas that came up with Mandalorians, or did somebody in some fanfic writer come up with Mandalorian? Do you know? We will, we will give George Lucas credit for that. You know, I think I think he deserves a little bit of credit. He's been taking taking some heat over the years, so we'll we'll give that to him. I think that Mandalorian it's one of the prettier words in the English slash galactic language that we're speaking about. I kind of want to. 
Great point. I am going to text your daughter and uh, suggest that as a middle name. Mandalorian? Mandalorian. She might take you up on that. You... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just think about the way that flows. Theoden Mandalorian AC. Yeah, yeah I, I told you that what her top three names are, right? I think when we talked about this last time, you could think of two. Yeah, so Theoden is out the window, right? Oh, it's gone now. It's gone. Because that was a top three last time. It was. Yeah, now it is gone. It's down to top two. Neither okay. one is Paul, which I am a little bit bitter about, but I shall survive. One is fairly typical, Aiden, right? Aiden. People are named Aiden. The other one is Rohan. Rohan is still on the top. Yeah, I I have a suspicion that Rohan's going to win, and... You know, when I talk with people, this is, a, it's clearly a millennial thing. It's clearly like there's an age difference because I hear Rohan and I think, you can't name your child Rohan because it's a country in Lord of the Rings. There, It doesn't make any sense. People are going to beat this poor child up. But everybody who's younger than, say, 32, love it. So <laughs> there you go. You you say that, you know, those all those flower children, there's some weird names that... But you're right. You you probably got beat up for that differently than you do now. Plus, you know what? Rohan is a really solid name for the way it can be shortened. Because it's a nerd name either way. Because you've got Rohan or Han. Ro. Uh, or Ro. But I, I like, I mean, come on, Han, right? Star Wars. Mandalorian connection. Bringing it back. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Bringing us all the way back in. Oh, snap. But Rohan Mandalorian AC. Or no, no, that's not your your daughter is married. Yeah. What's her, what's her last name now? Beyonce. Beyonce? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Rohan Mandalorian Beyonce. That is a straight up gangster Lord of the Rings Star Wars mashup name. I am... Please, I just cannot wait to get this text with the picture of your grandbaby, and it says Rohan Mandalorian Beyonce. That um, is so good. Please, please, I cannot wait for you to influence your daughter in this direction. <laughs> As she's in the hospital with her her newborn child, Paul, I want you to be texting and then leaning in. Did you get my text? Because I've got the perfect middle name. <laughs> She won't like that because it's way too many syllables. One of the key to this name, which is odd that Aiden even made the cut, but it's got to be easy to spell. There can't be any confusion on how to spell it, which Paul seems like the perfect name for that. Everybody knows how to spell Paul. Everybody knows how to spell Bill, Tom. Yep. Yep. Rohan, you just don't know. Rohan, you know, it could go a couple of different ways. I bet he gets a couple of W's thrown in there over the years. Maybe two N's. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe an H, H A H N, like Catherine Han, <laughs> the actress. I mean, there's a whole lot of ways you can spell this one. So many puzzling ways to spell it. But then you just shorten it to your point, and it's Han Mondo. Or Ro. Han Mondo. And that's pretty dope all by itself. That is pretty. That is pretty cool. Romando is pretty cool too. That's actually a great sounding name. Romando? Romando. Romando Biase. I'm going to text my daughter right now. She may be in labor, but I'm texting her. I'm watching. Guys, he's texting her right now. Text, 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 text. <laughs>
he put his phone down because I'm only a top 20 guy. I'm not a top three guy in his life. So if I was top three, he'd be texting it right now. <laughs> All right. It's time to talk about the Mandalorian. Mandalorian season two, episode one, dropped on Disney Plus right in time for Halloween 2020. We've both watched it. Hopefully you have too, because we're going to talk some spoilers here. So if you don't want any spoilers for that episode, then go ahead and scrub ahead to an undetermined point of time and hope that I'm not giving a spoiler whenever you un <laughs> unscrub. I don't know if there were a lot of spoilers in this episode, though, right? Well, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. And that's a good, that's, you know, it's a good spoilery, spoiler free segue to say that I, it was hard to tell if there were any spoilers. This did feel more like a standalone yeah. episode till the very end. And then there's a, something that looks spoilery, but I have no clue what it is. And I have no clue if anybody else knows what it is, unless they're just like Star Wars super freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And there are plenty of those out there. I mean, I think there, there are lots of people to get into the spoiler section. The crate dragon is apparently a thing. I did not know this until I watched this episode, but like, I think that it had been in the, in many of the offshoots of the whole star Wars universe, the clone wars, the whole bit. I think the crate dragon has made its appearance before. The only time that I've actually seen the crate dragon was in bone form in uh on on tatooine because you do see quite a few largish bones yeah hanging out but this time you actually get to see a crate dragon in all its living glory right and it was quite something it's true i mean something enough that it's hard to imagine how you ever see bones of a dragon of this sort on tatooine because boy are these buggers hard to kill oh my goodness yes and that brings us to our plot, right? Yes, the plot of season two, episode one, The Marshal. So the Mandalorian, as everybody knows, we are, we'll call him Mando for short, is trying to get Baby Yoda, who is known officially as the child, back to his own people. Um, but it's going to be a convoluted process because no one really knows what Baby Yoda is or where he came from or anything like that. So he figures that the best way to figure that out is to track down some fellow Mandalorians. And he hears of one on Tatooine. The Mandalorian in question turns out not to be a Mandalorian at all, but some guy who just stole Boba Fett's armor from a Sarlacc, I think. No. It looked a lot Did like... Did actually Boba watch this? What? He didn't steal it from a Sarlacc. No, he got it from the Jawas. He yes. bought it from the Jawas. Thank you. Yeah, but I mean, they yeah. probably got it from the Sarlacc, right? Uh, I thought I thought uh, Boba escaped the Sarlacc with his jetpack. Oh no, 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 no! He got he got eaten. He got away. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think not. I think he got devoured and digested. All right. Well, if he got digested, how 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 does armor get out? Well, the Jawas dig through Sarlacc poop. It's very special. It's this special steel type of 
metal thing. Baskin, Baskin, something like that. See, now I have to look it up. <laughs> well, that's what you get for giving incorrect facts on this show. <laughs> I'm going to uh, fact check you, and then you're going to be late for your grandchild's birth. Beskar, Beskar. Yeah. I Best was car. pretty darn close. Yeah. Thank you. All right, uh, keep going. Anyway, he, meets proceed. He, he meets this guy who's wearing this Mandalorian armor. He turns out that he's the marshal of this small town on Tatooine. Um, who's trying to protect this town. But this town is being attacked all the time by the Crate Dragon, which is a very serious, huge, worm-like monster uh, that also has some history with the Sand People. And for the first time that I remember, you actually have uh, some some people actually communing with the Sand People. It becomes sort of this uh, this interesting... You know, the Mandalorian has always had this very Old West type of feel to it, and this definitely had that old West type of feel to it, where you had the settlers were hanging out, the 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 sand people, they were they were often living in sort of this nomadic life and they would sometimes raid the settlements so they hated each other. It's a little like cowboys and Native Americans back in the old time movies. Um, but they have to figure out a way to work together to deal with this crate dragon, this gigantic monster that can swallow whole banthas completely without even chewing. Like they're like they're a little piece of popcorn. Exactly. Exactly. As if they were Mandalorian oranges. Ooh. Paul, the grandfather game is strong. I've <laughs> I've been waiting all episode to say that. <laughs> and that's been a long time at this point. <laughs> it really has. um so to prove you wrong paul and also to to get us into real nerd territory here i did a little bit of a dive uh boba fett is not dead not only is he not dead paul that's who we see at the end of the episode no yes huh it is a scarred boat map armorless Boba Fett. And I don't... But it was, so it was his armor. I was right about the armor. You will, it would make it seem correct that you're correct. It would make it seem that you're correct about the armor. So I'll give you that. But... Last time I saw Boba Fett, he was down in the Sarlacc. He was not escaping from a jetpack. Granted, Boba Fett is a tough guy, but, you know, Sarlaccs. Sarlaccs are Sarlaccs. Yeah, so... Uh, the guy that played Django Fett in the prequels is here to, apparently, according to ScreenRant.com, is here to play Boba Fett hmm. in The Mandalorian Season 2. Paul, you know, I thought that he looked pretty familiar, actually. I thought, I even turned to, to my wife and I said, who is that guy? He looks really familiar. Yeah. And now I know. Now you know. Hmm. So, Paul... Um, how does it feel to have Boba Fett back in the series now that you know? I am indifferent. I've moved on from Boba Fett. Okay. You've mourned and you've started a new family. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you've lived life with that family. I like the Mandalorians that we've already seen. I think that Mando, that guy is really cool. The woman who he sometimes talks to, who who forges the armor, she's super cool. I, I think that, that Boba Fett, he had his day. 
and mm. he definitely is the whole reason why we have the Mandalorian series now. And yet, I think we can we can put him to bed. So, do you think they're about to ruin it by reintroducing him? Are they going to kind of go the way of J.J. Abrams with the 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 sequels and lean too heavily into the nostalgia? You know, it's a really good question, and I am. I, I got to tell you, to launch into a different segment of this segment, I'm wondering whether it already sort of has taken a little bit of a downturn. Okay. All right. Let's get into this. I, so, I'm curious because I don't know that I agree. I And I'm not sure if I agree with me either, but it seemed to me that Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda was super cute in the first season, right? Like, like preternaturally cute. Amazingly cute. Next to my future grandbaby, the next cutest thing in the universe, right? Wow. But they they did a good job of not oomphing that cuteness, right? It, it, and I was hearing some little baby noises coming from Baby Yoda that I felt was just milking it a little bit much. I I don't remember those baby noises in the in the season one as much. Um, this one, there was a lot of just cuteness with Baby Yoda that I didn't think was necessary. It felt like it was pandering to those who just thought, oh, Baby Yoda is the cutest thing ever. Let's make him even more cute by making him cool. I I didn't buy it. Rather than a creative choice that you're just not a fan of, why do you think that represents a downturn for the series? Well, I think it represents the fact that the people who are behind The Mandalorian they knew they had something special. And so like any, like many forms of entertainment, all of a sudden you start to study. Okay, so what worked about this? And right. you, start to, you start to dig into the numbers and the, the demographics and the, all, of the, all of the little algorithms that go into it. And I, I kind of think that sometimes when you lean too much on the algorithms, when you say, okay, this worked, let's do more of it. This worked, let's do more of it. It detracts from the organic ability to tell a powerful story. Now, this is the very first episode, and I'm not saying that I didn't like this episode because I really did, but it felt it felt just a little bit um, programmed. Okay. Whereas the first season, it felt very rich and organic. And it felt like there was this grand unspooling of this very powerful narrative. This one feels a little bit more as if it's servicing the fans who tuned in for the first one and loved it. As opposed to telling a story that's rich all on its own merits. Yeah. What I thought was interesting where I halfway agree with you here is that it was interesting to essentially start with what feels largely like a bottle episode uh, that didn't really feel like it advanced the plot hardly at all. Right. And it felt more akin to the episode in season one. That was the sort of seven, seven samurais. Right. Right. Exactly. Retread, right. Exactly. Um, where they're they're taking a trope and they're plugging it into the Star Wars universe and running it down with some different particulars while providing only marginal advancement of the story. 
And I thought that was an interesting thing to do with the first episode. Like that was my quibble is that I actually liked the execution of the episode I, a lot better than the bottle episode. And I think there were two bottle episodes sort of in that first uh, season that I can think of off the top of my head. That's the seven samurai one. And then like the space prison break. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I really liked the space prison break. one. Yeah. The space prison break worked. And I felt like this one was in that sort of vein of feeling darker. That was, I thought probably the darkest feeling episode of season one uh, or pretty close to it. And it felt a little bit grittier that, that kind of gritty vibe that you're more of like the rogue one side of the star Wars universe. And this one felt similar to me, but as a pilot episode, I thought it was for a season. It felt interesting in that it didn't leave me like hanging on a story thread. Like I didn't recognize the person at the end. It, it didn't strike me in the same way it will some super nerds who remember exactly what Django Fett looked like from 20 years ago and can transpose that 20 years into the future with a scarred face. Well done you. But, <laughs> you know, it didn't leave you with that really gripping ending to get you to go to the next episode or to get you thinking, boy, what's going to happen next week? And I really like that they're doing this weekly release thing again. But mm-hmm. I just thought they should have left some more story meat, like to that your point, the bigger overarching story, right? Had a better hook at the end. And I think, and that does get back to my point. I think because when we look back to the first season, one of the most, uh, one of the the coolest episodes I thought was the one with uh, with oh, what do they call that big old rhino creature? It was the Mudhorn. The yeah. Mudhorn. Yeah, the, I think that that when you look back at the first season, um, the Mudhorn episode where where the Mandalorian goes toe to toe with this massive rhino creature, it was one of the most memorable episodes, and, and one of the reasons why I think that the Mandalorian worked so well. And so they revisited that whole monster trope in a way with this one, with a much bigger and badder monster in the in the crate dragon, um, and and. And so on one level, of course, that worked really well because the Crate Dragon is super cool. It is a really, really effective monster. Um, but at the same time, it does feel a little like, well, again, this is what the audience liked. Let's go bigger and badder and better and give the audience what it wanted. And I'm, yeah. I'm just not sure if that makes for it can make for an entertaining story. It can make for a good story. I'm not sure if it makes for a great story. Yeah. And, and that is, that was my critique of season one was that there were like, and again, particularly with the seven samurai uh, remake inside of a Mandalorian episode, there were several times where it felt paint by numbers and where I'm like, this is fine. I like this show fine, but I don't love it. And even in the big picture, when you look at where the overarching story in season one of the Mandalorian went, it didn't really go all that far. And you know what, to be honest, I don't think it was really even must watch. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't saying you must watch the Mandalorian to people. I was like, yeah, if you want to, that's fine. Oh, you know what? I would disagree with that. I think I think the Mandalorian for our household. Now, keep in mind, I watch TV for a living, partially. And so there are very, very few shows that I actually sit down and watch for fun. 
Um, it drives my wife a little crazy sometimes. The Mandalorian is one that we had on our weekly schedule. We all sat down to watch The Mandalorian. And as a matter of fact, we uh, we, we actually got up at 5 o'clock on Friday morning to watch the first episode together. She was really, this is something that she's invested in. Yeah. And I think the, one of the reasons that, that it's a must-watch, quote-unquote must-watch, is it tells or it really started to unspool a very gripping and grossing story uh right from the get-go and i think one of the one of the keys to that one of the things that that it brought with it its power is the idea of of the mandalorian himself being changed by this tiny creature that's all of a sudden in his care with season two opening the mandalorian has changed he is now the roughest, toughest babysitter in the galaxy, right? Right. So where does it go? How does his character change? Does his character change? And are they going to have to introduce, where do you, where do we find that, that emotional hook that's going to keep us riding through this thing? Or is it just going to be a cool, fun, quasi Western series that we, we enjoy, but we don't think very much about? Yeah. I think that's, where it's still sitting for me even after this episode, which I did like. I thought it worked as a standalone episode. I enjoyed Timothy Oliphant's uh, cameo in this episode. But it to me, it still hasn't gotten to that next level as far as this is something I'm going to remember and return to the way something like a Better Call Saul or a Daredevil or you know these other forms of prestige TV are. Like it's just not there. And you know, maybe part of that's going to be hampered by the fact that they're trying to make this for two audiences that aren't particularly drawn to prestige TV and the darkness and grittiness. And that one is children and (laughs) two are these old timey nostalgic Star Wars fans who are the casual, you know, the casual old timey nostalgic Star Wars fans, not the super nerds. I think that to me seems like that's the, the two sweet spot audiences for the Mandalorian. And that's fine. That's what they're going for. I just, I just think it's holding them back from being great. Well, and I think, I think that you have a legitimate point there because one thing that I've learned in this era of TV is that character drives everything. We tune in every week to the shows that we love because of the characters. And I think that because of that, it's nice to see those characters grow or even diminish but they change in some ways i think that that's the power that that television sort of unlocked during the prestige tv age when i was a kid television everybody pretty much had to stay the same you know because you were going to go through reruns and all this sort of stuff so you needed to have sort of a consistency of character now the stories are so much more rich and so much more involved because the characters change each season is its own entity um and to your point, um, I do wonder how we're going to see that change. This this feels this feels fun. It feels watchable. It feels cool. Yeah. It doesn't feel great right now. And I wonder, you know, is some of that due to the fact that you can't get a whole lot of emotional connection with a character whose face you've only seen once and who you just see through a, an emotionless mask? It's not impossible. But it is difficult to create that same amount of connection when 
that's there. I think that's inherent. And then two, when uh, you're 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 building for a different audience in a different medium, you know, um, I think is the other interesting thing to see is, um, you know, we're we're just building the experience in a different way than the original Star Wars universe. Now that can be done really well. Like a lot of people really like certain Star Wars TV series. Um, even my kids, they've gotten into the Lego Freemakers Chronicles. Have you heard of this? <laughs> no, I haven't. It's really good. It's about these this these three siblings who are sort of like rebel orphan uh, ship you know, uh, mechanics who one of them turns out to be like force sensitive and they're, but it's all very comic and sort of the Lego style and it's all kind of happening, or at least the seasons I've seen some with my kids are kind of happening during the original timeline, um, of episodes four, five, and six. And there's some really good stuff in there. And I think there's, so I think you can land it and do, do really good things in this kind of vein, but I just hope the Mandalorian can get there. Yeah, I hope that that eventually uh, this will be sort of a, a spoiler, perhaps. Uh, I hope that eventually it gets to the point where it can make my uh, my top five of greatest sci-fi TV shows because it didn't this time. But who knows? Maybe it will. Look at Paul with the segue. That's right. It's time for Rank Geeks and the best sci-fi shows ever. Welcome to Rank Geeks, where two nerds who have showered this time out of respect for the Zoom call. <laughs> it's Paul, it's Jake, fanboy and know-it-all in Rank Geeks to talk about the best sci-fi television shows of all time. I'm pretty excited about this list. As I was putting it together, I was amazed, number one, how many really good sci-fi shows there are. Number two... How much of these stupid things I've watched? I th- I think that my wife and I we really dig sci-fi tinged shows, and uh, I was a little bit surprised by how many of them not only would have landed on you know this list obviously, but on our top five maybe of all time. Well, there you go. I actually was surprised doing this list as well, but for the opposite reason. I when Paul suggested this, I thought no problem slam dunk my sci-fi guy uh paul i really haven't watched that much sci-fi television oh dude you i may- have done a lot of sci-fi books and movies and some television but i realized this and uh as i was building this list that a lot of my sci-fi tv knowledge is very tangential through my own dad my dad was a big sci-fi tv guy and so I only caught a couple of things sort of on the fringe as I became a teenager. There were a few things we would watch together, um, and two of those made my list. But other than that, there was a lot of sci-fi. I'm like, oh, I know my dad watched that, or oh yeah, yep, dad watched that one, but I didn't. You know, I was too young, or whatever, whatever it was at the time. And so I was actually scraping to pull together six for my like to even to like at least have one to cut off the list. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I could have gone on for 15 or 20 
to be honest with you. I believe it. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit crazy. So definitely my list will be more definitive than yours. For sure. But a good chance for me to play my know-it-all role. <laughs> because any good know-it-all knows he doesn't have to have seen anything to have strong opinions about it. I'm wondering if I could guess your top five. I, I'm, I'm thinking right now that I might know a couple. Yeah? But, well, we'll see. We'll see. So, Write it down on a slip of paper and I'll confirm... When, when we get there, then right. you'll have a documented. All righty. So, uh, as Paul writes this down, I'll, I'll add a little, you know, my little, um, my little caveats here in that I actually already gave you my caveat. I really haven't seen that many sci-fi TV shows. And so that's my, like, we're going to have to come up with like a TV hall of shame now to go back, like yeah. a TV backlist hall of shame to go with our movie backlist hall of shame. No, you're definitely you're definitely going to be going to that hall for sure. Yeah, TV TV backlist Hall of Shame is both like better and worse than the movie one because on the one hand, it's going to be a lot harder to make my way through that backlist because there's so much content, but also way easier to binge if you really get into something and you've watched all the stuff that's new that you've wanted to watch. Well, hey, you've got these to fall back on and new binges. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Number five on my list is one I'm actually not finished with yet, but is very uh, fitting for this episode. And that is Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Oh, I was just about to write it down. I but thought you did on your list. Um, the Clone Wars. This is another one that I, I actually started watching with my oldest son a couple of years ago. And realized a couple episodes in that it was too intense for him. He started to have nightmares about it um, because there was some really creepy stuff in there that I was like, wow, this is a lot more mature than I anticipated for a TV PG Disney Star Wars show. Um, and yet because of that, I actually started adding episodes to my queue to download for like when I would travel for work and could watch by myself even beyond watching it with my son. And so this one bumped uh, bumped its way onto the bottom number five of my list because I think it does a really good job of finding some of those lighthearted moments, but also dealing with some more mature themes, like in a way that I haven't seen an animated TV PG for kids show really do outside of maybe like, uh, well, I, it's not going to bump off like Avatar The Last Airbender, but you know, it's a, it's a good little show. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard many good things about it. Actually. I would like to see it sometime because I have not watched a single episode of it, to be honest. Even a single one, but guess what? It's on Disney plus now. You know what else is on Disney plus? What? My number five pick. Look at us. Look at us. Who'd have thought? And that would be none other than gravity falls. Gravity Falls, one I have only heard about from Paul, but never watched myself. Gravity Falls is great. It's a really fun, silly, well-done animated series that has definitely sort of an X-Files feel to it. It, ha- it. it features Dipper and Mabel, these two kids who are visiting their uncle. They're, they're actually Grumple, they call him. Uh, Grunkle Stan, who uh, owns this really trashy... Um, gift store right in the middle of mysterious Oregon forest. 
And so there's a lot of strange things that happen in this forest. And there are some episodes that are incredibly funny. It is, it was actually one of my, one of my most favorite discoveries that I've made during the coronavirus era, because I, I had not ever watched it before, before lately now either. So, so it's, it's kind of a fun show. It's worth watching. So what got you turned on to it then? You know, I had heard just a lot about it. It it sort of is lumped in with a lot of these other really popular cartoons. Phineas and Ferb is another one that that I've wanted to so sort good. of dive into. Um, cartoons are so much better now than they were when I was a kid. They have a lot of creativity. They have a lot of humor. They sometimes have a lot of heart even. Um, and, and so Gravity Falls is just sort of something my wife... As as much as I like t- sci-fi TV, my wife is all in on that stuff. And so this has been sort of one of those nice things that we can sort of relax and watch together. So, yeah, The Mandalorian, Gravity Falls, those are the two latest shows that my wife and I have watched together. Except for The Haunting of Bly Manor, which we really should have covered for the Halloween episode. So glad we didn't. <laughs> All right, number four on my list is no stranger to pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all, and that is Netflix's Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Here I am lifting Stranger Things. I don't don't see it, but... Well, I can't read my handwriting anyway, and and no one at home, listening at home, can can hear it, can see it either, but... Chicken scratch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We go back and listen to our Stranger Things episode for more of my Stranger Things and Paul's Stranger Things thoughts. But, um, you know, what I've really appreciated is, again, the character development that we've seen with different people over the different seasons of Stranger Things. Maybe not quite as in depth as we see in other prestige television, but still some fun developments there and, and playing with different aesthetics uh, in the nostalgia of the 1980s and the way they've been able to kind of do some different things tonally through the seasons so far. Um, You know, Stranger Things is some surprisingly delightful horror sci-fi, thriller sci-fi. Yeah, it's uh, it scratches my nostalgic itch. It it actually, I'll tell you that it would have, it landed number seven on my list. So it, it missed the top five, but it is a very, very fun show. It really, it really did hook you from the very first, you know, very first season, very first episode, really. It yeah. just has always been quite compelling. Uh, the kid actors have aged well, which I was always worried about whenever you have kid actors, because sometimes they, they get a little cringy after a while. But yeah, you never know a season four next year. Season four. But I think it sets it up really nicely with Sheriff Hopper. I, I'm excited for season four. There you go. Number four, then, for you, Paul. Number four for me. This might be the granddaddy of all sci-fi television shows. And everything on this list, either of our lists, actually, probably owes a debt of gratitude to Star Trek. So just to show you, though, the power of Star Trek... How many episodes have you watched of the original series? I've, of the episodes, maybe one or two. Yeah. Possibly three. And yet, I think that there's a lot of people who have never, ever seen Star Trek, and yet they know instantly who Spock is. Right. 
they can recite Dr. McCoy's tagline, no problem. They know who Captain Kirk is. It has become such a cultural milestone that it's it's really become shorthand for a lot of different things. Um, people can even probably, a lot of people probably even know about the Tribbles, which only showed up in one episode, really. But people still know what Tribbles are. You know what Tribbles are. I, I do. They're like koosh balls, but aliens. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> they were the Baby Yoda before Baby Yoda, really. You know, it is it is fascinating it, for, you know, a pop culture podcast. I think Star Trek Star Wars is one of the original dis- like nerd disagreements when it comes to television in particular and movies. And, uh, you know, are you a geek or are you a nerd? The geeks, you love your Star Trek and the nerds, you love your Star Wars. <laughs> is that really the defining line? I've never I've never heard that before. You know, I, I don't know if that I haven't done a deep dive on the rivalry between geeks and nerds, but I have seen it delineated that way many times like and secretly they both love the other one they just hate the elitism like you know star wars nerds hate the elitism of the star trek geeks and the star trek geeks hate the general pop culture relevance of star wars star wars is not really science fiction it's space opera is what that is yeah but also it's science fiction okay now this you're right it is a space opera but it's also science fiction space opera. It is going to be this Potter for a oh, few thank so. you. I will be done with my show here in a minute. I got my <laughs> personal servant. He's four years old. Let me know dinner's ready. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. So we'll have to hustle this along again. So That's right. So uh, Speaking yeah. of other science fiction things that maybe Paul will like to classify as other. <laughs> Number three on my list. It's from 2009, and it's Better Off Ted. Oh, my goodness. Paul, did you ever did you ever review or watch Better Off Ted back in the day? No, actually, I never have. I know nothing about it. Better Off Ted shares something in common with another famous science fiction show, and that it was canceled too soon. It, it only got two seasons, but it involved uh, this, this mega corporation's like the science division inside this mega corporation, um, you know, it could be, it could be a stand in for like the by and large from Wally, right. Where yeah. they make everything and their ethics are really, really uh, questionable. And you have Portia de Rossi in an underappreciated role here, but then nobody else that like really comes across as like nobody else has gotten big anywhere else, a bunch of kind of bit players, uh, but it actually ends up being a really effective sort of parody of corporate science culture. And as these science, as in the science division, they're always working on these crazy science fiction inventions, like you know, uh, meat grown in a lab without an animal, or like yeah, you know, they all those sorts of wacky science. Or um, what's the other one I'm looking for here? It's where you freeze the body. I'm forgetting the word for that right now. Cryogenics or some whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Cryonics. Um, and it does a lot of fun stuff with that concept. And so it's, it is a comedy show, but it is very clearly science fiction in the way that it is exploring the science department inside this mega corporation. So would you call the good place science fiction? The good place? I don't quite get how you, eh, I don't get how you call it science fiction. Fantasy. Well, no, I was just saying, fantasy because it's taking place in it's like a 
you know, in a spirit world, but it doesn't, it involves some spirit world technology, but I'd call that more supernatural than science mm. because all of the tech inside the good place is supernatural. It's divine in nature, right? That they just personify through technology versus better off. Ted is literally revolving around science right. creating yeah. fiction, right? So let me tell you just, uh, just how great better off Ted is. I just said that I had never watched an episode. I've reviewed it. So that I thought you had, it was for me. <laughs> well, Paul, that you've forgotten a lot of things you've reviewed, but I'd attribute that more to your, uh, grandfatherliness than <laughs> the better off Ted's qualities. <laughs> Portia de Rossi is, is one of the funniest people on earth. I just laugh whenever I see her in anything. She's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Number three for you. Number three for me, another all-time classic. This will come as no surprise, but see, this sort of straddles along the lines of science fiction and the good place in a way. I'm talking about the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. So That's the theme song, by the way. Twilight Zone really um, bucks the curve in, in terms of like traditional science fiction. It definitely has some science fiction episodes to it. Uh, it's also very metaphysical. It's also very supernatural. So it really sort of, it checks all the boxes, but no one can argue that it is a really well done show for those who have not actually seen some of the original twilight zone episodes, the classic twilight zone episodes, they are really worth watching. They're super fun. They engage your brain. You can't beat Rod Serling's narration. It's just, it's just cool. I actually just want to watch the Twilight Zone right now. We know that Paul is a big fan because pretty much any time I've ever done a voice on this show, Paul's like, "Oh, is that is that Rod Serling?" <laughs> I think I think that just shows what a terrible imitator you. It could it could say that, or it could just be you reading Twilight Zone into everything you see. Yeah. Good pick, good pick. Number two for me as I get ready for dinner is an Australian-American TV show. Paul, does that give you a hint? I bet this one didn't show up on that little piece of paper that you wrote down. I don't think I have it written. Well, I might have it written down. You have Farscape written down? No, I do not. No, you don't. I do not. Farscape is an Australian-American science fiction television show from the year approximately 1999 to 2003. It got four seasons. It actually is shares a universe with Stargate SG-1 for okay. the uber nerds out there uh, where the character of John Crichton as played by the actor Ben Browder made some crossover appearances there. And Farscape was one of the ones that I started watching because like I had just gotten old enough to like start watching this at the tail end with my dad. And he was like, you can watch this one because it's a little bit less dark. Um, although it certainly deals – it's slightly more Muppety, very slightly. In that it, um, and, and more in like the 1980s dark sense, you know, in that you've got some fantastical – creatures right. that are clearly you know puppets or in costumes or things like that uh, mixed in with your live action characters and uh you know this show actually gets an 8.3 out of 10 stars on imdb all these years later but 
Um, it's it's a very funny show. It does a good job between sort of the it is a true it feels sci-fi. You know, they're on this spaceship that's like actually a living organism and you're flying through space and having space adventures and there's portals and this feels like your true late nineties, early two thousands <coughs> sci-fi with a Y science fiction. Um, but it also does a good job. You kind of fall in love with this crew of ragtags. It's sort of a bit of a guardians of the galaxy before, uh, it was cool back when it was super nerdy and there you go. Farscape. There you go. Actually, here's, here's one bit of trivia for you with Farscape. Um, James Gunn has said that Farscape is one of his all-time favorite sci-fi shows. So that's interesting. There's there's your Guardians of the Galaxy connection right there. Interesting. Number two on my list. This will come as no surprise to you, Jake, because I know we've talked about this show plenty on these very podcast airwaves. The X-Files. You and you and the X-Files. Me and the X-Files. Yeah, I do love me some X-Files. Mulder, Scully, sneaking around, looking for aliens, looking for weird things. It's all just very cool. And I think that that in terms of just riveting television, in, in a way, remember how we were talking a little bit about the idea of of modern television what it really entails and some of that is is part of the serialization that we're seeing more and more of um and the x-files was really one of the very first shows when when shows were very episodic where they jumped around a lot because they needed to to play on syndicated and in syndication and have the reruns and the whole bit um the x-files was one of the very first shows that i recall um, that had sort of this through thread through it all. You had these standalone episodes, but you also had this season-long and really series-long mystery that you were trying to follow as well. Um, it was revolutionary for its time, I think, in a lot of different ways. And, and Mulder and Scully, you just can't beat them as a pair. They, they were just so cool. I remember watching this so much with, uh, with my friends. thought it was just the coolest show ever. And it still is pretty cool. Worth a number two on my list. There you go. <laughs> well, that could mean a whole different thing in a certain edit. <laughs> worth a number two on your list, Paul. <laughs> now I'm going to take a number two all over your list. Um, the X-Files is one that I remember being like, oh, that's one of those scary ones that dad watches. Oh, so you were never able to watch it. I've never seen an episode. Oh, my goodness. Backlist. Backlist. Hall of Shame TV. Yeah. Yeah, yep, that and uh, that and Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. Never got to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but my dad was a fan of that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, Buffy is pretty good. X Files, I think, is better. Um, there are definitely a few standalone episodes that I could point you to that are super great. One has still never been replayed on TV because it was so disturbing. See, there you go. It sounds about right. Yeah. Um, just to really lean into Paul's grandfatherliness, the X Files debuted when I was four. <laughs> so that's why i was not it wasn't prime time tv watching for me thank you very much jake you're welcome the next one premiered my number one on the list of best sci-fi shows premiered when i was 13 and that is joss whedon's firefly on my list i had a feeling that firefly was going to make your list 
Yeah. So, you know, again, like better off Ted gone too soon, but this one a little bit more undeservedly. So I, I think it was undeserved for better off Ted, but it was definitely undeserved for Firefly. You had a really fun cast and crew and you had re- like Joss Whedon really leaning into the space Western aesthetic and kind of nailing it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And not the Mandalorian space Western, which is gritty and grimy and sort of this, this, I don't know the the magnificent seven style. This is more fun and, and light, right? Uh, yeah, though, you know what? I think that may have been part of what sort led of- to like them not knowing what to do with it early on is there was certainly some dark stuff in it. Yeah. Um, with the Reavers, right? You know, these cannibalistic, like, sure, space demons, but. But the lead actor in that was just so likable. He had sort of like an Indiana Jones feel to him. Yeah. Uh, which which makes it feel more like a, a rip-roaring adventure, more like 50s Western than 70s Western to me. But you're right. I mean, the Reavers were definitely dark, for sure. Yeah, Fillion, like... I don't, it, it certainly wasn't like the first thing he did, but this felt sort of like a bit of a breakout role for Nathan Fillion. Um, after, you know, he had done some spots on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place with uh, Ryan Reynolds, I believe, was in that one. Um, but his role as Captain Mal in Firefly really, I think, started putting him on the map and getting him more roles in Hollywood, like bigger roles. Yeah. And deservedly so. So there you go. Number one for you, Paul. Number one for me. It is Lost. Ooh, boo. All right. That's it for this show, folks. We are done. Time for the next segment. Paul has talked way too much about that crap show. I'm not giving him another second of airtime. Nope. Nope. Don't say anything else. Nope. Paul, you're done. You're done. So good. So good. This was must-see TV in my house for a long time. We actually started watching it as a family um, about three or four seasons in. And we wound up like getting the renting the DVDs for it, actually. And it was the very first experience that my family had had on binging because we would get through one and we couldn't stop. We would watch three or four episodes in a night with our kids. Um, I loved Lost, the whole idea of, of Jack and Locke's war between science and faith, the whole um, relationship triangle between Jack and Kate and Sawyer really worked, but the but the core was just the mystery of the island and everything that happened with it. And I will tell you right now, Jake, I may be alone on an island appropriately for this. I thought the final episode worked perfectly. It was pitch perfect. It was pitch perfect if you only watched the last half of the last season and had never watched any of the rest of Lost. He thought, oh, that's an interesting concept. That's wrong. You are completely disconnected. Wrong. Boo. Okay. So this, this, I I have to say this because I shuddered literally within the last couple of days as a result of Lost. And I cannot believe that I have to say this right now. (laughs) Okay. My wife and I got really into Lost as well. Uh, As a Netflix binge, it was actually our first like Netflix streaming binge. We were living in an apartment, young marrieds, young parents. We literally had to stretch. We had we we couldn't afford Wi-Fi at the time, 
but some neighbor had unpassword protected Wi-Fi in his apartment complex, and we literally would stretch our Nintendo Wii across the apartment living room to set it up on the arm of this rocking chair so that we could get just enough Wi-Fi from this neighbor's unprotected Wi-Fi that we could stream about two or three minutes at a time, and then it would need to buffer for about <laughs> two or three minutes, and then we'd get another two or three minutes, and then buffer for another minute, and then we get another. And the, we liked Lost enough that we binged it that way with our Nintendo Wii stretched out across our apartment. <laughs> three minutes at a time, we were into it. I was into it, Paul. I was there with you. I remember being a high school football player. I didn't watch this live. you know. Of course, like I said, I streamed it. But being at football practice and hearing guys talk about the latest episode of Lost that they were watching with their family, like it was appointment viewing when it was live. Boy, did the ending just ruin it for my wife and I. Like for, for our money, it just tanked the whole show. Now, I actually was more moderate. I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I still enjoyed most of the show. My wife, it ruined the entire show for her. No. She swore off Lost forever and always, wouldn't admit that she even. Like she, it ruined, she was so mad. She, she was so angry. She was like those, those Egyptian Kings that chisel off the names of their, their predecessors. So they yeah. don't remember it. Yeah. Basically like that. But you know what? Literally within the last three days, we're sitting on the couch, getting ready to watch something before we go to, you know, watch a show or two before we go to bed after a long day of work and kids and parenting. And my wife says, Hey, you know, kind of been wanting to watch Lost again. And it shent, and, and I, I shuddered and I said, you mean the show that must not be named? <laughs> she and I have done like the Statler and Waldorf like flip-flop on Lost and I cannot believe it. I am telling you. I have zero interest in watching it again. Zero. It totally works. The only way that it doesn't work is if you pay attention to Lost as if it was a spreadsheet. Is this question answered? Is this question answered? It fails on the spreadsheet test. But as a story, to me, the fact that it fails, it fails the spreadsheet test so spectacularly that the story is no longer interesting because it, it creates so many threads, right? So many interesting threads that it leaves you hanging on. And that is where the intrigue comes from is all of these threads like, Ooh, Oh, they're going to go there. Oh, they're going to explore this and that. And the no, other, no. And then you come up with a bunch of IOUs. It's like the end of dumb and dumber, right? Where they, the bad guys finally get there and they get their briefcase full of money. And it's like all these IOUs and Jim Carrey's like, those are, that's as good as cash. That's no. what it felt like at the end of lost is like, they open up a brief, you open up the briefcase and you're just left with all these IOUs. And they're like, oh, those are as good as cash. And I'm like, no, I was into this show. I was intrigued because there was a promise that you were exploring all these threads. And then you just abandoned them. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. We have already talked on this very episode about how character is king. This show developed these characters. It enriched these characters. And here's the thing. With that, promises they never intended to keep. This is why Lost Works. Life is full of unanswered questions. We all have unanswered questions in our lives, and they're super frustrating. That's a ridiculous struggle. You have to get past that. You have to move beyond that and see the beauty and the joy and and the wonder of this world that we live in, even if you don't know why certain things happen. 
Paul, you and I and all of our good friends on this show know that I am a big fan of untied strings at the end of a movie where they don't just tie it up with a bow and everything's hunky-dory. In fact, arguably, I like that more than you do. But with Lost, it's just like a million of them <laughs> that they've been promising to tie up for hours and hundreds of hours. And then they're like, hey, guess what? Spoiler. You're... You know what spoiler. You know what spoiler I'm talking about. Dead wrong. Lost endings work. And it was a capper to what was really the best science of all time. Of all time. (sighs) All right. You got to go to dinner. What do you guys think? What's the... You know, I thought, Paul, that we had agreed to make the list of the best sci-fi shows ever, but Paul's made the list of the worst sci-fi shows ever. What do you guys think are the best ever? You can let us know on Twitter. That statement is completely, completely and provably wrong. Come, Come join us on Twitter and tell us whether you think Paul is right or I am right. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. The most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show, it's a thing, and we do it every single episode. We take we take monuments of pop culture, and we demolish them like stadiums with lots of explosives. Great footage if you ever need some YouTube killing time. Watch them like demo a stadium with as much dynamite and explosive powder as we like to use in the most least important thing. Or, or alternatively, we take the little tiny mustard seeds and then we put a time-lapse camera on it and we watch it grow up. We blow it up into a huge mustard tree. <laughs> Biblical. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like there's some mixed metaphors there. But Paul, what do you got for us today? I do have, I have practically the definition of the most least important thing. Hey, you got a mustard seed today? I, I do not. But I, what I do have is a baby shark. Baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, do, 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 do. That's for all you parents out there. Now it's stuck in your head forever, just like it was after I looked up this, this particular fact yet. It was stuck in my head for another two hours, which mm, good. I hate it. So we know that baby shark is a very innocuous, very light, very unimportant song. And yet it just became the number one viewed video of all time on YouTube. Oh, it passed Despacito? It passed Despacito. This makes me so happy. It's now at 7.042 billion, with a B, views. That is, I think, what that's, that's more than the population of the entire planet. Yeah, the crazy thing about that is all of those views were generated... By the same 27 families. (laughs) Just over and over and over and over and over and over again. Baby shark. Okay. That's so gratifying though. You know what? Despacito. I, I don't know. I just, I liked that bit. I liked that it was Gangnam style before, right? That had the, that had that um, 
prestige before. And then Despacito took it and it just felt, didn't feel appropriately silly enough. And so for Baby Shark to take it back, that just, you know what, that makes my day. It feels very YouTube-ish, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Speaking of streaming on things on the internet, my most least important thing uh, may have flown under the radar for most folks, but represents potentially a seismic shift in the world of streaming content. Not just the world of streaming content, the world of content, video content in general, Paul. Disney has done a complete reorganization and restructure of its media and entertainment business so that streaming is now the centerpiece of its media and entertainment uh, division. Like not every, like they have restructured, reorged, moved pieces around, moved money around to say that streaming is now number one in Disney's eyes when it comes to media and entertainment. And for all of you theater lovers in the house, I don't know what that's going to mean exactly because theaters are, a lot of them are closed or at limited capacity right now. But this, this quiet, sort of quiet restructuring of Disney and more and more media and entertainment companies uh, might be more than just the trend of cord cutters. This might be changing the landscape of media and entertainment as we know it. If Disney's going to say, this is, this is it. This is front and center. This is where our money's going. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether, how much of that bears fruit. You know, I, I always kind of think about, once you have everybody who can possibly want a Disney Plus membership, once they have bought that membership, where do you go from there? Because all the stuff that is trundled out there is free. Although, you know, now that now that I say that, Mulan was not free, was it? It wasn't. You can still have a, a revenue stream even on Disney Plus. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and when you think about just the loads of content that exist and the nostalgia paired with the appetite for new stuff recurring the recurring payment of paying that $12 every month like when i think about it i never paid disney very much money in a year you know maybe i my wife would buy something out of the vault when it came out but i was spending 30 to 50 bucks as a family unit on disney content every year now with their streaming that's more than doubled just by us having to have access to Disney Plus because my wife has a nostalgia factor. The kids like the new shows. Now I got to watch Mandalorian. Now I got to watch Mulan. All that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they're taking all these potentially dormant customers that, again, are probably paying twenty between twenty and sixty dollars a year on maybe one to three movies purchased, right? And now they're a steady stream of monthly income to Disney. So it's a fascinating move. Time will tell how successful it is. But uh, it's one thing when it's an offering you have. It's another thing when it's your central thing, when this is what sure. you do and what yeah. you want to be known for. Yeah, absolutely. Stupid thing about Disney Plus is good golly, is it worth it? I do watch Disney Plus more than I should. <laughs> and right, all Paul watches these days. I gotta still watch the cat from outer space. That's Maybe. right. Yeah, I gotta revisit that. Yeah, backlist hall of shame. 
Well, there you have it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. As always, we appreciate being with you. If you want more friends to join you in this show, hey, would you share this thing? Would you give us a review? That'd be awesome. We want more friends. I want more friends. Paul probably wants less. Yeah. Specifically one less. Me yeah. less. <laughs> well, considering your terrible taste in science fiction stories, I don't know. Anyway. You know, I don't think it's my taste. I think it's just what I've been served, you know? I think I think that your list was just fine. Mine was better, but yours was just fine. That's right. Well, you can catch up with us on Twitter in the meantime. At I am at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. But until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.